0: Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is October 23rd, 2018, and my guest on the show is Benedict Chan. Benedict is CTO of BitGo. BitGo is the market leader in institutional-grade cryptocurrency investment services, providing institutional investors with security compliance and custodial solutions for blockchain-based currencies. Benedict started building on Bitcoin and blockchain in 2012, working on a number of projects, including wallet platforms, key management, and early blockchain identity management. Prior to BitGo, Ben also spent time at Microsoft on their conversation understanding platform, and was a quantitative analyst doing automated trading during the volatile period of 2007 to 2009. So, Benedict, thanks for coming on the show. Good to have you.
1: Hey, thank you very much. Very glad to be here and uh, have the opportunity to speak with
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Bitco.
1: Yeah, I think you you put it very well, um, talking about institutional-grade cryptocurrency investment services, you know, providing investors with security, compliance, and customer solutions for blockchains and blockchain-based currencies. You know, we started out in 2013 and, and we built our business on, you know, a rep- reputation at the time selling security and technology to the companies that were building uh, crypto trading markets. You know, we provided many of the exchanges with scalability and security wallet platforms. And, and over the years, hundreds of exchanges and institutions around the world use, use our wallets, um, be it by the API or, or, or through the UI. And um, over the past year, we've been working on on uh, financial services. We I received the trust charter from the uh, South Dakota banking division uh, just about a month ago making us the only qualified custodian uh, purpose built for for digital assets this is a natural move for us from you know our our strength in security and our desire to make digital currencies you know usable for everyone institutions and everyone
0: so bitco has been around in the cryptocurrency space for quite a long time, it was founded is in 2012 or 2013. is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. It was 2013 by, by Mike Bel our CEO, and at the time we you know we had the first uh, like web multi-sig wallet for Bitcoin.
0: Who was your first client? Was it an exchange? and in...
1: So I mean we started out with a lot of friends of Mike and friends in in, in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. Um, that were just looking in, into Bitcoin and and hearing about it through through the circles we had over here. So they were mostly actually consumers. <laughs> but, uh, where we actually start started to get our real you know paying clients and enterprises. Our first client, I think, of a size that people will remember now, is actually Bitstamp. This was back in I think twenty end twenty fourteen or early twenty
0: fifteen. So Bitstamp. They're, I, they're, they're an exchange. So tell me a little bit about that client and what kind of services you provided for them back then.
1: You know, Bitstamp is an exchange. They're one of the earlier exchanges in the crypto space. They have Bitcoin trading, Ethereum trading, and, and Ripple and so on. What we do for them is we provide the wallets on their back end. So whenever you see an address on Bitstamp to deposit in, we create the wallets behind that address. And we, we track those deposits and we also... Basically, whenever they're doing any transactions like, like withdrawals, we are part of that process. So we not only help them to construct and, and um, create the software for them to sign the transactions, but we also act as a co-signer, meaning that every transaction that you know, Bitstamp is, is signing also is signed by us. And we're able to review that transaction before it goes out to the blockchain
0: and what do you know what they had before they hired you to develop this type of solution
1: i think at the time they were bitcoin only and they were just connecting directly with bitcoin d and you know the bitcoin d you know package is is great as a consensus package for bitcoin uh, over the years the wallet package i think has been a separate uh, you know developed on a kind of in a separate way in, in such that I think Bitcoin Core is, is more interested in thinking and developing the consensus part of the package. And so, you know, our platform is is pretty much the, the only enterprise wallet API that can, you know, scale really well, not just for the Bitcoin wallet, but also connect to multiple blockchains like Ethereum and Ripple and Litecoin and Zcash and Dash and so on in a very you know safe and, and scalable manner. I think that they had an event back then that basically you, had them looking for a new secure wallet and our wallet had always been API first on the back end. So, you know, we, we didn't really build it as kind of just a, a UI wallet. So every, every single request is, is through the API, um, which, uh, which we, we built, uh, you know, from the ground up to be pretty, pretty scalable. I mean, I still remember the back in the day, uh, like you said, our transaction count was mainly consumers before then making very manual transactions. And it was a really nice experience to be able to work together with them to integrate with their existing software, which actually hit Bitcoin RPCs and and make it work for our wallet.
0: So then that integration was a success. Did you guys afterwards continue to perform maintenance and upgrades of the service for them? And do you continue to do that for some of your clients currently where you you build out the infrastructure for them or the back end for them and you have this software and then you have a, like a continuing process of maintaining it
1: well what we actually do is we provide them with an sdk so we don't actually build the back end for them they have other aspects to their systems i think they have accounting systems especially on the usd side and trading systems we don't we don't build any of that we provide them an sdk in which they can perform blockchain transactions and over the years, we've upgraded that SDK to, you know, firstly support more blockchains, but secondly, to upgrade how Bitcoin works as well. And I think one of the biggest upgrades there has been on the matter of fee optimization and transaction construction in, in such a way that when, you, when you're running a very high-scale wallet, you need to be very wary about how you spend your unspends and how you manage your unspends um, when you have many, many inputs coming in. But at the same time, you're making transactions every minute. So there's a lot of technical upgrades you make there. But I think I would say the biggest notable one that everyone knows about or, or should remember is the SegWit upgrade. And I think this happened about a year ago. And, you know, everyone said SegWit was one of the scaling approaches to Bitcoin at the time and that it was, you know, adoption of SegWit. Everyone was looking at that, seeing how successful was it going to be? Uh, would it be enough to, to help scale Bitcoin? and we were one of the first to push that out to Bitstamp, which and 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 the rest of our customers which meant meant that they could actually take advantage of some of the you know free fee calculate like free fee portions of of segway transactions that make it cheaper make some of the biggest blocks so i think with our transactions we we run typically um, about out of every block about 10 to 15 percent of the transactions were involved in as a result of this we actually got in some cases, when they were pre- performing consolidations, some of the largest blocks at the time.
0: That's that's quite an impressive statistic. Tell me about how the business grew from there. So at the time you had uh, how many employees and tell me a little bit about the path that the business has gone down since 2013 when you got your first enterprise client. And then uh, I'm, I'm assuming you were approached by other companies and started you know, giving other companies a service as well.
1: Firstly, it took us a little while. We really wanted to, we were hoping to, you know, create a wallet that everyone could use, and to some extent we have. But at the same time, we figured out that product market fit for the business was really best as a used as a as a as a kind of a B two B business model for us. Um, and the reason to that is it's kind of twofold. Firstly, is it's that our main product at the time was was multi sig wallets. And while it's really good for individuals to use and increases security, uh, it's totally a necessity when you have more than one person uh, managing a, a Bitcoin wallet. You don't really don't want to be doing that with a single stick wallet because then you get into problems where anyone could spend and you wouldn't know who actually took the money out. That's one of the reasons why we went after the enterprise market that, and, and they actually started using us. And the second reason is to do with the nature that we had some kind of competitor's edge on the platform side of the, of the wallet APIs that let us scale really well and provided some value to it. again, at enterprises. And, and that's how we came up with, you know we, we gradually found our business model. We, yeah, I mean, it took us a while to get you know, consumer enterprise. By then it was, I would say 2015, 2016. And I think if you remember, that was you know, not exactly a, a bull market for Bitcoin. And we have always been a fairly pragmatic company you know, um, if you look at BitGo, we, we try to go after, you know, innovations and technology that work today and that bring, you know, volume today. And in that line, um, back then, we didn't want to, you know, hire too many people. We still remained at about, I would say, 10 to 15 people all the way until 2016. And that's where we started to start wrapping up. And one of, one of the reasons why we started that was because we, we did it a big deal with the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And we were, you know, integrating with them to tokenize gold and create a blockchain for gold. And so we, we started to increase our the size of our team then. That went on until, I, I think, early 20, 2017, where, you know, everyone started to see this huge new pop and in, in the number of cryptocurrencies that exchanges wanted to list and that people were interested in. And... um and that's where we started to hire more aggressively because clearly see the demand and the value that you know that was being sought and and so now we are about hundred people in total uh we have a development team of about forty and you know we have other like devops and product people and that puts our product team at around sixty in total
0: your clients uh, your client portfolio how would you, how would you segregate it? Would you say it's like ninety percent exchanges or like 60% exchanges, and what different markets do your clients consist of? So
1: the markets question is, is a little bit easier. We actually have a fairly distributed uh, client base across multiple regions, and usually our clients are some of the leaders in each region. For example, we have Corbit and Upbit in Korea. They're both really really good exchanges in Korea. Uh, we have coins of PH, which is in Philippines, and you know we have Bitstamp in Europe, and and so on, and I think that the way we've been seeing it is that there's a lot of exchanges, that, especially the ones that do fiat, fiat to crypto, that emerge as leaders in, in the individual countries that have been using us. So, so far, as the market is quite well distributed. For the kind of types of users, I would say um, we're about close to half-half on, on exchanges versus uh, everything else. And we're ramping up really quickly on custody. So, that's, that's the fastest growing
0: uh, segment for us at the moment. So you mentioned before the CME Group partnership. Uh, So that was an initiative between CME Group and British Royal Mint, uh, where they were developing a a platform allowing institutional traders to trade RMG or Royal Mint gold, which would be a, a digital token issued by the Royal Mint, I guess, redeemable for gold. Yeah. Yeah. So is that currently active? Is that currently being traded? And what's the status of that?
1: It's not inactive, but it's it's clearly not been as public, publicly accessible than you know than some of the other gold-based projects um, that are available on Ethereum today. I still have hopes that it will, with institutions like CME that are very respectable, you want to take the time to get it right. I, I have hopes that someday it will get there. But uh, at the same time, over the past couple of years, we've we've seen a little bit of a move away from just being about private blockchains, which was pretty much a narrative back in 2016 to to this year having more about public blockchains and scaling and how to bridge the gap between traditional finance and, uh, you know, public blockchains and enable large institutions to be able to invest securely and and with confidence in in things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And and that's where custody, I think, comes in.
0: So I want to change topics and uh, talk a little bit about the company culture at BitGo so BitGo was uh, announced as the winner of Entrepreneur's Top Company Cultures list what do you think makes BitGo's culture so unique and
1: well I wouldn't want to say too much compared to other company cultures Uh, I've just been at a few companies and you know big and small but what I really like about BitGo is that I think um, for us we value ownership a lot uh, internally so Many of our people are very passionate about what they, they work on. you know we, we, we believe that crypto has you know the potential to you know, radically disrupt financial services you know to do things like Bitcoin and, and um, I think that we've always had kind of ownership in the sense that everyone has the ability to own and drive whatever they're working on I and mean, this could be as small as whether you know you're driving say something like a uh, web hoax feature you would be taking taking control of that and driving it to completion and feeling like it really belongs to you. All it is as big as, you know, let's release, you know, Zcash on the platform. And I think we give everyone a lot of stake and a lot of control and respect and trust and confidence as part of that. And because we have so many great people here that are so passionate about it, I think we really also care a lot about the craftsmanship of the product. And... You know, I I like to think about it as I hope that people that use our service feel happy and I hope that they smile at the end of the day. And it's a little bit for me as if, you know, it doesn't matter if it were just about engineering, but if you know, if I if I wasn't an engineer and instead of of building code, I was building houses or I was, you know, cooking you a meal, I would want to see you smile. And I I still want that. And and I think that's a big part of of how you, you know, encourage quality. As, as, as part of work. And then lastly, I think we have a lot of open communication over here. And I think it's absolutely necessary for, for those that, you know, were in Bitcoin when times, times were a little bit more tough. We had many camps. Some of them were talking about big blocks, small blocks, uh, big blocks. Why? Because, you know, we want to get more people on the platform, small blocks because of, you know, preserving decentralization and immutability and, and so on. And, and talking about all those trade-offs, and it was very important for us to create an environment where everyone could speak their mind uh, in a respectful manner and, and assess, you know, all of these views and everyone could have their own opinion. And we didn't want it to be like, you know, you have to listen to this or it has to be one way or the other. Yeah, so I think, I think it's very, very important to create such a place where people can, can speak their opinion.
0: And are you guys based in the Silicon Valley area?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we are in Palo Alto um, in California, Yeah, which is mm-hmm. the South Bay of, of the Bay Area.
0: And how much of your development team is based locally and, and how many workers do you have remote?
1: So, yeah, we, when we actually started out back until the end of 2016, I would say percentage wise, we had more remote people. But now we have, I would say, at least three quarters are uh, actually local. I think when when we were still in the infant, more infant stages of Bitcoin and blockchains, you know, you really wanted to hire people from within that space. But since last year, everyone's been you know really interested in in, in this, and, and we've been able to find many people that were really enthusiastic about about working on on you know <laughs> on on crypto.
0: So what have you found to be some of the challenges uh, with scaling the company and the structure of the development team so that you guys maintain efficiency? And uh, tell me a little bit, some of your like DevOps and planning you do for your development roadmap.
1: Well, to be honest, I actually feel most of those challenges are not really crypto specific. They are mostly engineering management challenges that would happen for any company that's growing from 30 people to 100 people. And, you know, when you grow up from being a bunch of guys in a room that, you know, I can go over and tap your shoulder and say, hey, is that, is that thing, you know, going to ship today? There's a, there's a lot that, 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 that becomes different in terms of how you track projects, but how you also break down projects and, and dole them out and, you know, have everyone else also aware of what everyone else is doing. So, uh, we, we had to introduce, you know, an agile scrum process. We work on two week sprints. And I, I guess I won't, I don't really want to dive too deep into it, but I would say that there are other parts of software engineering that you need to, to kind of, that mature as part of the software development lifecycle as you grow the size of the company, you know, for instance, and, and and it wasn't like this is the case, you know, at bitco but it is in, in some startups, when you have less than 10 people, you know, anybody can push code onto production at any time they want. But when you reach a size uh, of goes and, and with the kind of security implications, uh, you really uh, want to be creating processes and different environments that go through, uh, that, that code goes through for testing and code review and quality and end-to-end runs and, and so on and approval processes before code actually gets shipped by you know, a release manager or, or, or someone with such a role to you know, ensure that whatever gets into production is not is of a basic quality and that there is no single point where uh, someone can release any code out there that may, may be malicious if they were to get hacked or anything like that. So it's a lot about removing single points of failure as well. Earlier this year, we also announced that we had obtained the SOC 2, so it's a systems and operation, operating controls for security, which is actually quite quite valued by some of the larger enterprises that we work with.
0: So you guys announced that you uh, received the SOC and that was a year long process uh, where Deloitte did an independent audit of uh, BitGo and did a thorough review of your processes, controls and documentation around your security. And I think I read that you guys are also having another independent audit performed for like a level two or or type two report. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So type one is... Basically they audit you as of a certain date and at that date they can assert, they, they, they try to ascertain and, and ascertain that, you know, you were following all the processes. And with type two, it just generally means that it's an ongoing date, Meaning since the last report, we have been following the processes.
0: So since the company was was founded and you guys have grown, tell me about how your role at the company has changed, and tell me a little bit about your day-to-day activities now compared to what they used to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, when we first started out, I I was uh, you know working a whole lot more in the code as as a platform lead. I actually you know uh, was very very closely involved with the Bitstamp integration, for instance, and that was very interesting to me. And as the company has been growing, you know, we've been integrating with more and more enterprises and customers. And I feel like I take a a bit, my role has transitioned a little bit more into engineering management, growing, growing the team, keeping the engineers happy and able to do, to continue doing their work and more on a high level architecture side and on looking at the product roadmap and looking at the space and, and, you know, doing a bit of research and development on uh, what we could be working
0: on next. So I also now see that you guys had a Series B round recently. So was there a Series A round before that?
1: Yeah. So the Series A round was actually very, very early on. And that was back in 2014.
0: So tell me a little, if you can, a little bit about the Series A round and some of the details, if, you, if whatever you feel comfortable talking about with respect to the uh, Series A.
1: I think Series A was was about 12 mil back in 2014 and I think one of the big known, rather known investors at the time was, you know, Barry Silvert uh, Digital Currency Group. And I think that they, you know, they've made a lot of great investments over the years. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's been a while ago.
0: You, after you've completed the Series A round, you raised around 12 million. And at the time, do you remember how many clients you had and how much like, revenue you were bringing in?
1: I think it was pretty much zero revenue and mostly the clients were, were consumers.
0: So then you use the funds to start building out your team and growing the company and generating revenues. And then the next round was the series B round. Is that the next like fundraising round you guys held?
1: Yeah, that's right. So we raised a series B round towards the end of last year. It was led by uh, Valor Equity Partners, which is participation from David Sachs, Bill Lee and also DRW. And DRW is, you know, Don Wilson and and they pretty much they, they are Cumberland. They're more commonly known in the crypto space, in like Cumberland mining, as Cumberland mining. But they they have non-crypto. They're, they're very known for non-crypto work as well.
0: So you also had Goldman Sachs, uh, Goldman or Sachs Principal Kumberland. Strategy Kumberland. Strategic Investment Group.
1: Yeah. So last week we had we announced that uh, Goldman Sachs and and Mike Novogratz, which is also coming into the Series B one round, and I think uh, it was a strategic investment that
0: I'm quite happy about. So you guys have uh, raised 57.5 million in the Series B. Congratulations on on that round with some big names who participated in it. So as one of the principal goals of the of the round, one of the upcoming. Uh, milestones was is to reach uh, a trillion dollar crypto wallet so that that doesn't literally mean that you're going to have a trillion dollars in a single wallet but it means that you'll have access or in some way associated with a trillion dollars worth of cryptocurrency funds can you comment on that a little bit
1: yeah sure um so we, we you know we raised a fair amount of money and one of the large lines of thinking along this trillion dollar mission is that we want to make sure that the crypto space is ready to prevent to provide enough confidence for the mainstream user to put his money in. And and the reason why we, we want that is because we're we're very passionate about about crypto and and its adoption and we're envisioning you know a world that, that is going to be fairer and more more transparent and inclusive and, and have better you know markets uh, than, than ever before and as part of that having this trillion dollar wallet is what we think we will eventually get to in in a few years Uh, if you look at how just how quickly wallets went from a million dollars to a hundred million and then from a hundred million to a billion it happens pretty fast when you know the price of the underlying crypto does a 10x and the way we think about it is that if we don't build for a trillion dollar crypto wallet when the time comes, it will happen really quickly and we won't be ready for it. And I think one of those examples where it can get dangerous is like in the case of, I think everyone knows the famous like Coincheck uh, exchange that lost quite a sizable amount. I, I think you can look up how much it was, but it, the point is when they first started storing the crypto assets, they really weren't worth much more than a, a few mil. But as the market started to improve, more and more people started depositing and the value of the underlying of the asset as well went up like 10 times or some large, large factor. And so it wasn't that when they built it, they had probably built it wrong. But when they built it, it was for an amount much smaller. And I think if you think about how you would secure a few million dollars versus a hundred million, it's something that you don't do in the same way at all. And, and that's why I think we, we should be thinking ahead. Of getting to the trillion because that's why you know we're all here right to get more adoption and 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 get crypto in the hands of more people
0: so as part of the announcement that you of the new product you're you're offering which is the custodial service you received the approval by the South Dakota division of banking which uh, approved Bitco as a trust company yeah. uh, in South Dakota and uh, you or the first uh, qualified custodian uh, for storing digital assets. So tell me a little bit about how long this approval process took and some of the steps that were involved with uh, receiving this approval.
1: It took about close to a year, but I, I wasn't myself involved in the entire process, but it involved multiple trips down to South Dakota. I and mean, South Dakota is where many trusts go set up. I mean, and... Um, it took them going back and forth with us a lot to understand some of how we uh, what we did and how our wallets uh, secure uh, cryptocurrency and um, I would say that they they had you know a fair amount of questions they were genuinely concerned about how customer funds were being stored and and again, I, I can't say too much because I was I was not the actual person that was involved in the day to day of that, but it took yeah about about a year.
0: so what can you say about your cold storage solutions uh, that you have because there's obviously like security considerations uh, you don't want to disseminate too much information about the internal workings of your your security
1: many people know bitgo as being a multi sig wallet where we hold one of the keys and the customer holds two of the keys and this is a non-custodial product that we've had for some time and uh, the great thing about that is that it's distributed in terms of risk and and um uh, you know, in terms of, of where the keys are uh, physically, as well as from a process stand of, uh, standpoint, because you have two different companies, the customer and us. And as much as possible, we did want to preserve that. So in, with the trust, uh, we have a Bitcoin Trust company, which is in a different physical location. So the keys are being stored you know, in, in a, in a different, geographically different place from where uh, the Bitco co-signing key is stored. And pretty much it runs on top of the BitGo platform, which has been securing, you know, all these exchanges uh, with our co-signing key um, for quite a while now. So uh, we've built built this on top of uh, what we already had. But we've added, you know, additional processes and um, security on top of that for just specifically for custodianship. With custodianship, sometimes uh, the right thing to do is actually focus more on uh, getting it right than getting it fast. And that may mean things like introducing a time delay, uh, introducing um, you know, video IDs. Um, I think that those uh, processes uh, are all part of what we've been learning from, uh, you know, I would say, even traditional um, institutions on, on how they secure any valuable assets, not just crypto assets. And we've been able to take a lot of learnings from that, and I think that's great and we've put it on top of our existing platform.
0: So, who did you consult with when you developed this custodial service? Because it...
1: Well, um, that's the physical aspect of it. So, uh, how to build a vault is not something that is what we invented, and I don't think it should be something that we invent. Um, There's a lot of Great hardware out there to to build vaults and to, you know, put Faraday cages uh, to prevent Wi-Fi from coming in and out from the vault and so on. And we've we've you know taken taken best practices there. But I think that's on the physical side. I mean, the what you see a lot with vaults are the physical aspect of having the thick wall and 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 you know the finger keypad and 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 all those cages and all that. And I think that it's important to recognize that we've also taken a lot of the processes um, that, that these uh, you know institutional uh, uh, banks and trusts have have been using and, and really uh, taken those approval processes and the compliance that, that goes into part of being a, a custodian and taken a lot of those learnings and, and put it in, into this product.
0: So tell me about the clients that you have uh, for your custodial service what their business model is and, and how they incorporate your, the BitGo custodial service into their, into their business. Uh, what types of companies need custodial services and uh, why do they outsource it versus doing it in-house? And
1: Commonly, one of the reasons why a business may want a custodian is because uh, they may actually be uh, compelled from a regulatory compliance standpoint. So when you look at you know, managing money, if you're managing your own money, uh, the requirements uh, for how you store that are pretty much on you. Um, and you can decide whether how, how, how and where you want to store your, your assets. Uh, when you're managing someone else's money, then these requirements and, and regulatory and compliance requirements become a little bit higher as, as they should. Because it's not your money, it's someone else's money. And, and we want to care about uh, how you take care of someone else's money. Um, One of the big reasons for this is is that uh, you really want to have the reporting in place that the money is there or the funds or assets are there. Um, For instance, you don't want to have a case like where you have a a Bernie Madoff case where someone is accepting money and they are actually running a Ponzi scheme and they don't really have what they say they have in the bank. Um, And so there are a few um, institutions that we're working with um, because of that requirement for a, a qualified custodian. At the same time, um, just many, many uh, large uh, enterprises and hedge funds uh, are also, you know, not the most uh, enthusiastic about controlling and and having their own cryptographic keys. Um, And and this is going to be something that I think always happens. uh, If as a hedge fund, uh, most hedge funds, they don't secure their own gold. Um, And and so in the same way, they don't want to have to, to secure this asset. Uh, they'd rather use a custodian for that.
0: And what is your service fee? Is it a monthly service fee? Can you talk about uh, the types of engagements that you enter into with your clients?
1: It's fairly broad, as you say, um, and depending on the service, um, some for some of our businesses, it's a platform as a service. Um, for some of the custodian businesses, um, we have a assets under custody fee and a transaction fee.
0: And so with the custodial service, you recently announced that you are supporting 57 different ERC-20 tokens and also Dash, Stellar, Zcash, in addition to Ethereum. So basically your institutional clients can hold a basket of various digital assets.
1: So that, that is our intent. We have grown that list. I think we have more than 90 supported tokens and coins at the moment. We, we, we do want to be able to help our, our clients store um, and secure um, and, and also provide you know, regulatory compliant custody for, for these assets. And um, we're committed to, to continuing to do that. I think um, this doesn't mean that we can support every single coin. There are too many coins out there to support all of them, but uh, we're trying our best. I think that so far as this is concerned, um, we are one of the, We're one of the leaders in this space in in terms of being able to support the number of digital currencies on the platform and in custody.
0: So I want to shift gears now and finish up. I want to be mindful of your time uh, since we're at the 50-minute mark. So what what are you guys working on with respect to tokenization, tokenizing Bitcoin?
1: Well, at the time when this podcast goes out, uh, I think it will probably be announced. Um, We're working on a project uh, called WBTC together with uh, other members uh, of the community um, in Ethereum space, uh, Kyber Network and Republic. And um, I think uh, another, about another 10 other projects that uh, we're really, um, really happy to be working with. And it's going to be a wrapped Bitcoin token on Ethereum. And uh, what that means is that uh, on the Bitcoin side, uh, we'll be taking custody of Bitcoins and in a proof-of-reserve manner and issuing uh, Ethereum tokens one-to-one on the Ethereum uh, network. These will be ERC-20 tokens, so they'll be compatible with, you know, the standard and and all the dApps and and DEXs and and decentralized exchanges out there. And it will enable them to to use the, you know, stability of Bitcoin in that, um, you know, right now, a challenge that decentralized exchanges have is that they can't necessarily represent Uh, a Bitcoin uh, uh, pair, like say Bitcoin-Ethereum, on the exchange. And with this, they will be able to do that. Mm. And I think that's um, really exciting for us, both as as a tokenization effort, kind of working together with the community on that uh, in the DAO, and also uh, for custody purposes, as well as just looking at the impact that it could bring to Bitcoin, specifically with regards to enabling Bitcoin to be used in smart contracts and and also potentially faster transactions.
0: Decentralized exchange could have a wrapped BTC token that is tied uh, to Bitcoin and backed by Bitcoin. So for each token, uh, it would represent a certain number of Bitcoin. One, yes.
1: Um, oh, one Bitcoin. It's going to be one to one, and we'll have a full, full proof of reserve. We're going to have a website that states all, where all the Bitcoin is and we'll provide proof that we, we have it. And wow. every time we mint uh, a token on the WBT site, it will be approved um, by other members of, of the community.
0: Mm. Uh, the stable coins that are out there now, uh, you know, Gemini recently announced uh, their us dollar stablecoin, and do you guys support custody of these types of tokens as well and
1: yeah so firstly i think that having a stable coin is very very uh necessary um in order to actually be able to work with uh real world cases in, in say in, in a smart contract say say if i wanted to do insurance an insurance contract with you for uh you know, for a plane ticket even you know and my plane ticket is is um, in, you know in three months, and I want to insure it uh, you know against say me feeling falling ill at the time. If I insure it in terms of F, becomes a little challenging because the value of that contract could go up or down by fifty percent by by the time. and so that does seem to to pose some adoption challenges, so for that reason I think having a stable coin to provide a stability of value is is very good. In terms of for BitGo, providing custody of those stable coins, you know, is something that we look at as as tokens. I don't think that you could say that just because we provide custody of a USD stable coin means that would mean that that coin would, would always be redeemable for USD. It merely means that, you know, we would be able to secure... The keys behind uh, that wallet. So, having said that, uh, we do plan on supporting most of these tokens um, because I think that they they are an important part of the ecosystem. I think there are very many of them right now, and 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 I'm interested to see how that plays out.
0: One other quick question, maybe briefly mention that on October 28, Zcash is going to be uh, having a hard fork uh, at block. Four. Uh, 419200 uh when the block is mined and there's going to be an upgrade, a significant network upgrade to the sapling uh, release.
1: Um, yes. Uh, so so far as, as supporting the hard fork we will be supporting it. Uh, the way that, that Zcash has worked with uh, the community so far um, has been good um, in, in making sure that everyone was uh, supporting it before they performed the hard fork. Um, to prevent any 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 weirdness with, with a split, which is not what we want at all, and, and it's not probably going to be what happens. Um, it does require a fair amount of maintenance work to to keep updating. Um, but that's what we are here for, and we take all the complexity of that away.
0: My guest on the show today has been Benedict Chan. Ben is CTO of BitGo. It It's a pleasure having you on, Ben, and we'd love to have you on again uh, in the future. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. Bounty Zero X does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the Bounty Zero X podcast or website.